Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. If you can turn your Bibles to Basically, to the epistle of Philippians. We're going to carry on where Dad left off. And it's just something that has been ringing in my heart. Dad spoke about last week of the rewards of partnership in the gospel. He shared about the promises that we share in the spiritual family. But more importantly, that we share in Christ and through our participation in the gospel. So today, the word... And the theme that I want to discuss and continue on is indeed the theme of partnership in the gospel. What does that mean? What does it look like? And when we find those things out, how do we deepen our participation in this good news? So we're going to open up as dad did. Uh, we're going to open up with the reading that he gave. We're discussing today, pretty much I'm giving you a concentration like you do of Missouri Orange if you're in Zimbabwe, of Oros if you're in South Africa. I don't have any concentrate drink that you get in America. Please forgive me. Maybe, uh, what is that one? Gatorade. You probably get a concentrate of Gatorade. I'm giving you a concentrate version of Philippians today. I struggle just taking one aspect of a letter out. I imagine Paul sending this letter with a person, Epaphroditus. He sends this letter to the whole church, the whole community of faith in Philippi to address certain things, but also to exhort them. And I imagine Epaphroditus walking in and being welcomed and celebrated and him reading this whole letter. So I didn't want to do that for you today because we would be here quite a while. But nonetheless, I'm going to give you a concentrate version of Paul's letter to the Philippians in what aid that we can deepen our understanding of what participation in the gospel means as a community. And I'm definitely talking community wide. I'm not just talking individual level is it does mean that we do have to appropriate things as individuals and individual nucleus families but more importantly as a community of faith as often amiga ministries international the square blocks on your screen are people that live in in homes and we connect together on a sunday like today in prayer when we're lifting others up like we have done today already like nikki in the past like bill in the past and present i should say as well as like we just like trish led us with dad and Michael. This is what we do. We come together as a community of faith. And this is how we should participate with one another in Christ in furthering his kingdom and bringing good news to those that need it the most. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 to 7. This is what dad read last week. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 to 7. I'll read it for you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is the opening lines, the opening verses of his letter. Imagine Epaphroditus reading it out to the community. And he says in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine, for all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense 
and confirmation of the gospel. So this is the verses that dad read to us last week. And he summed up participation in the gospel, a community like the Philippian church partnered with Paul, particularly not just in prayer support, which, he, which they do, but also in their tangible contributions. They were a very generous congregation. And we, re we read at the end of this epistle how the Philippian church is very generous, very heartfelt, not only to Paul himself, but to other churches in need. And this is a characteristic of this Philippian community. They are generous. They have participated and they continue to do so. But Paul's writing this letter and he's encouraging them to use that as a starting point, to go deeper into participation, not only with him, but more importantly, participation and partaking in Christ and the life that he brings. And just to give you some context, I've already suggested Paul has received a person from the church, and that person is Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is bringing one of these contributions that they have sent to Paul in his time of need. Paul's in prison, and when you're in prison, whether home arrest or in a prison cell, the, the, the Roman uh, guard, Praetorian guard, or whoever's called you captive is not necessarily going to look after you. So you are dependent on the mercy and on the gifts of your friends on the outside. And Paul does have friends, friends like the Philippians. So they send this man Epaphroditus and they send him with a gift, whether that is monetary or, or food, it is probably all of the above, and they send him. Now on arrival, Epaphroditus gets sick, which Paul tells us in this letter. And Paul is very gracious that he doesn't die on him to add more worries to him, but he is alive. And now he sends him back. He's sending Epaphroditus back and thanking them for the gift. And he's sending him back healthy and well to make sure that he's okay and that they're okay. And Paul is now giving him this letter to hand to them and to read to them in the congregation. Now, you need to understand the Philippian church, just like many of us today as a community of faith, are under opposition. Number one, there's opposition from the outside. There's persecution from, from the Roman government. There's persecution from people that do not understand who they are as Christ followers. There's also unrest internally. Like all of us, relationships are a tricky navigation thing to do. So there is unrest within the, the Philippian church. Now, not to the levels of the Corinthian church necessarily, but we do read in, in the later chapters of this letter that two elders or leaders within the, in the community are having a bit of a, a, a tiff. And Paul is urging them to come together. He's urging them to be united in Christ, and he's urging them to find themselves inside of Christ and to participate in a deeper way. Okay, so this is some of the context of this letter. And also, the extra challenge that they are facing is there's an imminent arrival, which we read in the later chapters, of maybe some Judaizer movement who are more interested in if you're not circumcised, you're not a follower of Jesus. And we know how Paul loved. He hates that when people try and put law on top of what Jesus has already liberated. So there is a lot of tension within this community of faith. There's inside, outside, and persecution from, from Jews or Messianic Jews, we could call them, or Judaizers, as well as the Roman government. So Paul sends them this letter. And in sending them this letter, he, he points to the central figure of Christ. And let's start there. My favorite part of this letter, and I need you to, to understand it as a central point in which it emanates outward. I was going to give you a diagram, but let's just 
illustrated in your mind's eye. You know I like the, the epistle of Philippians, and you know more so than the hymn that centers it all. Right in the middle of this letter is Paul's words of, in a very concentrated way and a beautiful way of the gospel. And let's read it now for ourselves. If you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 5 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. And this is what Paul says from the English Standard Version. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. By being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Christ hymn is a beautiful summation of the heart God the Father has for us and indeed the Son in obeying his Father's command and his emptying him of himself. In the Greek it's echinosis, which we spoke about that in our Bible study a few years ago. He becomes in the form of a servant, a human servant. And remember, he, he chose to purposely remain as such, like that the story with the disciples before he was going to be betrayed and arrested, he washed their feet. It's a beautiful illustration of our God, our Messiah, the anointed King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords himself didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he chose that humble posture of serving the family that he was given to and those that were given to him. And this Christ him demonstrates it. And I want you to see it as a center point, which like a sun in the middle of our solar system, this hymn is in the center in which everything revolves and the sun emanates out of it. And on top of that, on top of in this letter, which we, I don't going to give you all these verses now, but I want you to understand if that's the sun, what are the other planets that Paul positions in the solar system for us to look at and find examples of Christ likeness, or rather, I would say, cruciformity. And let me define what cruciformity is. And I'm quoting from Michael J. Gorman. And this for me is the is the very central theme of what participation in the gospel looks like. What it means to be a partaker, a sharer, and a participant. This for me sums it up well, gets the heart of the Christ hymn and puts it into one sentence. Cruciformity is cross-shaped existence in Jesus the Messiah. It is letting the cross of the crucified Messiah be the shape as well as the source of life in him. It is participating in and embodying the cross. Did you get that? The cross of the crucified Messiah must be the shape as well as the source of life in him. It is participating in and embodying the cross. That for me, when I think of Jesus, when I think of the Christ hymn, that is what I think of. I think of God himself coming down on earth as and entering into human form and then serving, doing what we could not. He 
went, climbed up onto that cross because we couldn't. And he did something that we could not do. Not just because he was pure and holy and God, but because he had the humility that we cannot achieve on our own. He exemplifies what it means to be agape love. And that's what Jesus does. He climbs on the cross. He takes the shape for us of cruciformity and he embodies what it means to sacrifice yourself for those that you love. And then Paul gives us, he erects other planets within the solar system to look at. First of all, Paul, he gives his own life front and center in this, in this Philippian epistle, in the beginning parts and in the end parts, Paul uses his own life where he points to. He points to his own life and he exemplifies what it looks like to embrace the cruciformity of Christ. For example, in Philippians 1, verse 12 to 14, I'll read it for you in the message. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And Paul there is talking about his imprisonment, in which he is writing this letter and giving it to Epaphroditus. He says, What has happened to me now? My imprisonment has actually been served to further the gospel. And he's participating in it. He doesn't resist it. He doesn't grumble and complain. He embraces it. He humbles himself and he participates in it. And then he says in verse 13 from chapter 1, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace God and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So right in the beginning of this letter to the, the church in Philippi, Paul embraces his circumstance, and not for selfish reasons, not for, for just willy-nilly reasons, but for the furtherance of the gospel. He uses his life and his life situation and the suffering that he goes to as an acceptance to push through the gospel. He climbs onto that cross, if you will. He embraces cruciformity for the sake of the gospel. He sees the good, like he will tell us later. He chooses to focus on the good and the honorable and the pleasurable parts of what he is in, not just the difficult and egregious parts. Later on, in the same chapter, in verse 23 from 226, and I'm going to give you a new translation today. I really enjoyed it. The easy read version. If you're really struggling to find out what the text is saying, the two, the two versions I would encourage you to read, the ones that I turn to, is the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson, the message. For me, I struggle in the thousand of these and any other translation. If I want to say, what is he actually saying before I go back, I read the message. And today I found also a new one called the, English, the easy read version. It really is easy to read, and that puts it very plainly. Listen, in, in the latter parts of chapter 1, Paul makes it clear. He says, listen. Sometimes I want to leave this life and be with Christ. Okay, so don't feel alone if you're also like that. He's like, I'd rather escape to be with Jesus. And he said, that would be much better for me. Now listen to the part that's actually sacrificed for him. Dying for Paul isn't a sacrifice. Rather, living is to be continue living in a difficult situation. He says in verse 24, however, you people need me here alive. You, like the Philippian church, you need me here, present and accounted for. And I'm sure of this. So I know that I will stay here and be with you to help you grow and have joy in your faith. This is Paul saying, I'd rather just escape this world 
and have relief and be with my, the one I really love, and that's the Messiah. But he wants me here, and you need me here. So the sacrifice is to remain on this earth, and I embrace that sacrifice. I don't resist it. I don't reject it. I use it, and I participate with it in the furtherance of the gospel. And in this case, it's to help mature the Philippian church, which ironically he's doing in this very letter to them right now. He is participating in that cruciformity by sharing his life as an example to them that they may look and see what it looks like and embrace it upon for themselves. And in, in chapter 3, Paul also talks about his past and talks about all that he used to be the best of the best according to Torah law and Jewish tradition. And he says he gave it all up from verse 11 in the message. It says, I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally and experience his resurrection power. Why? To be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. So here Paul is not only embracing his present, but he's embracing his, his future and his future suffering just like Christ. That he will, he, will, he will enter into the suffering until death itself, where he will be finally resurrected with Jesus on that day. So here we see Paul giving his own life. After the, the center point of Christ him, he then shows us his own life as the second layer. And he demonstrates for us and the Philippians what it looks like to enter into partnership with the gospel. To embrace the suffering that comes alongside. Listen, why am I sharing this part with you? Many of us believers, we don't find it hard like dad shared on the promises and the good parts of the gospel. We don't find it hard to know that we're forgiven, that we, we have mercy and compassion from the Lord and that we are in the book of life. We find that very easy, but we always forget and we always struggle on our day to day on small matters, on small issues from big issues and big tensions in workplace in family and everything. We always find it difficult to do what Jesus did to climb on the cross on each of these moments to participate not only in his glory and his resurrection, but also to participate in his crucifixion, to participate in his suffering. That is not easy for our, our human bodies to, to embrace. It is counter to what we are. And that's what it means to participate in the gospel. It means to embrace all of Christ, not only his resurrection, which we do have, not only the grace in which he empowers us and his spirit, which enables us, and that's what will enable us. His spirit will enable us to climb onto the crosses that are presented before us, even if they are unfair, even if it's not just, even if we don't understand. The response of a believer is the cross. It is always the cross. And this is something that we have to appropriate. We have to discover. We have to wrestle with, like Jesus himself wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't something easy for him. He had to, through the power of the Spirit, through the strength of his relationship with his Father, he had to turn to the cross and he had to walk on that road and embrace the suffering, even to death himself, just like Paul is saying. And this is what Paul is doing. He's presenting his life as another example. And throughout this letter, Paul will give us other examples. He gives both Timothy, his spiritual son, and Epaphroditus, the very man that came to visit him with the gift who ends up sick. He gives them as examples, both in chapter 2. For example, chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, if you turn there in your Bibles, you can read from verse 20 
I'm going to read from the easy read version. He says, Paul boasting about Timothy says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for you. He says, Timothy is like no other. Verse 21 says, others are, are interested only in their own lives. They don't care about the work of Jesus Christ. And you know the kind of person Timothy is. He isn't like them. He has served me in telling the good news like a son with his father. And I plan to send him to you quickly. As soon as I know what will happen to me. So here Paul then gives another example. A third planet. A third layer. Emanating outward. And that's Timothy. And, he's, and this overwhelming characteristic of Timothy. Is that he has genuine affection and caring. For the flock in which the Lord has entrusted him to. And he says that is very different to everyone around him. Folks, we have a world that is only interested in their own lives. And we all struggle with that. We all struggle believing that another person across the table, another person in the cubicle next to you, another person on a different call with you is also going through a difficult time. We always like to see our perspective because that is the only perspective we generally view from, our own eyes within our own head, with our own hearts. And it's a strong emotion and it's a strong care that we are to empathize and have compassion and have mercy on others. And this is what Paul rushes forward through the person of Timothy. He puts him front and center and he says, Timothy genuinely cares for you. And he is going to visit you and he is going to be with you. But not yet. Why? Because first he's sending Epaphroditus. I'm not going to read the whole section on Epaphroditus. I've summed it up quite uh, concisely already and from verse 25 to 28 and now recovered Epaphroditus is being sent back to the very church that sent him and Paul says in verse 30 he should be honored because he almost died for the work of Christ he put his life in danger so that he could help me so that is quite poignant Paul recognizes that this man carrying the gifts from the church that he's writing to almost died in bringing him this gift and he elevates that as another example and he says this is what cruciformity looks like laying down your life for the benefit of another and he tells them to honor him and note Epaphroditus's heart Epaphroditus's heart he actually wants to go back because he's worried that they are worried about him he's not really concerned about himself he's concerned that they are fretting themselves on the other side hearing news of him that he was sick. It's like your mother or your father who heard that you were sick and they stay up all night and are more worried about you than you yourself. That's what Epaphroditus views his home base in Philippi. And Paul uses him as an example. What about the last example in, in the letter to the Philippians? And that's the Philippians themselves. That's the beauty for me and Paul's writing. He even uses the, the destination audience, the community of faith that he is writing to and he shows them how they have gotten it right and are getting it right he doesn't just show them their growth parts he shows them their strengths as a good leader should and he tells them in the very opening of the letter and the very closing of the letter like we read from verse 5 i thank god for the help you gave me while i told people the good news you helped me from the first day you believed until now he knows that they are his partners and his participants as dad focused on last week and he praises them for that because he has tangibly received that support financially, emotionally, as we see with Epaphroditus, 
but also spiritually, he feels their strength of support. And in closing the letter, like I've already hinted at, he, he heaps praise on them that they also were generous in supporting other churches. In Philippians 4, he says, When I left Macedonia, you were the only church that gave me help. Several times you sent me things that I needed when I was in Thessaloniki. So they are helping him continually no matter where he is, and they are very generous. So these are the examples that Paul gives us in the letter to the Philippian church. Now, it's very important, and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. In giving these examples, Paul him, gives himself as an example. And he says, I have not made it. I have not arrived. I am also on the road to cruciformity. I've given you my life as an example in any way I can, but I too am not done yet. And Paul tells us the heart that we should have on ourselves, the humility in the Christ that we should embrace. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. He says from the Amplified, Not that I have already attained it, the goal of being Christ-like, or I have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. Do you see the relationship there? It's from Christ to him. And he is striving to continually be Christ-like by remaining in Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider I, that I have made it on my own yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The reason I put that verse in is to remind us, if Paul doesn't believe that he is arrived in cruciformity, folks, let's be honest here, then all of us are in danger of not being, of being woefully lacking in this area. Paul is a very exemplary cruciformity example within the text. Jesus is the only one for me that exemplifies cruciformity in the greatest measure. Then for me, I would say Paul, and this is what I see in Philippians. And he himself appraises himself and says, I have not made it yet and I still press on. So more should we. For myself, I lack many of this. And in his letter, I, rather, I probably identify more with the Philippian church than him. And it feels like he's writing it to me and I need to work on myself, not in my own strength, which we're going to get to, but through the Holy Spirit, that I too may press on. That I am looking at Paul, I'm looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus, and I'm looking at the Philippian church as example for me to embrace cruciformity, to embrace participation in Christ and the gospel. So let's get to the practical part. I've given you the context of the letter. I've given you what Paul is doing, the examples that he's using. And now I've also shown you how he appraises himself. But let's ask Paul a simple question. Let's ask Paul, all right, Paul, how, tell us how do we deepen ourselves in the waters of cruciformity? Now we know a little bit about them. How do we practically deepen ourselves in Christ? in participation, in kinonia of the gospel. How do we do it? And Paul gives us a smattering of 
real application. If you study this word in this letter and you go through it slowly and you highlight practical points, you're going to find tons of it. Paul is very practical. He is very concrete in his examples. For example, I'll give you one. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So those examples that he's drawn out, he then tells you to focus on them. Focus on me and focus on Timothy and Epaphroditus and those when you did when you when you did well. Keep your eyes on examples that go ahead of you. And then he says in Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9, like I've hinted before, he says, focus on the good stuff, folks. I'm not going to read you that whole verse. You know it well. He says, whatever it's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything that is excellent, anything that is worthy of praise. He says, focus on that. There's a lot of other stuff we can focus on, as Michael said in his courses and his messages recently. There's tons of stuff we can look on and be dismayed and be despondent like the world does. But Paul says, divert your attention, put on the blinkers of, of the gospel and look at things that are good and true. And then he says again, he reiterates that example idea. He says, what you have learned and you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So once again, he turns the Philippian church to his lived out example. And that's important for us to understand. That's why he sends a Timothy. That's why he sends Epaphroditus in his absence. He doesn't just want them to hear teaching like this. For me, folks, the best part of the ministry isn't necessarily this Sunday online engagement. It's when I go to the homes of you because I learn from you. I learn from your, for example, on this trip, I learn from Nikki's compassion and prayer for others. I learn from Johan and Antoinette and Elisa's hospitality. I learn from you guys as much as I learn from my dad. Because I have a lived experience, I have a shared experience of all those hearts that I connect with, not just on the screen, but next to you, at your table, in fellowship. And that's what Paul wants. He wants a lived example, a life-on-life -life example of what it means to learn and receive and hear the things seen in me, tangible examples. And he tells them to practice these things. That's the importance of a living apprenticeship style of the gospel. It needs to be lived in front of us and we need to immerse ourselves in that. I want to focus and close off this with this main point here. where Paul, I believe, gets the most practical we can ever be in this epistle and telling us how we can deepen ourselves in cruciformity. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm not going to read the Christ hymn again. I want you to picture the, the next section as just before the Christ hymn. Just before Paul goes, enters that beautiful description of who Christ is and what he came to do and what the gospel means, he tells the Philippian church to do the following. And I'm reading, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read the first five verses of, of chapter 2. And I'm going to read it from the easy read version. Because all the other versions that you have, it's Paul is very he's asking rhetorical questions. I just wanted a version that didn't ask me a rhetorical question, just stated, like, stated it like it is. And that's what the easy read did. This is what Paul says to the Philippian church just before giving them the Christ hymn. He says, think about what we have in Christ. Let's pause there. That's what he tells them to start with. He says, think about what we have in Christ. And then he lists them three things. The first, he says, the encouragement he has brought us. The comfort of his love. 
our sharing, our kinonia, our participation, our partaking in His Spirit all together as a community and the mercy and kindness He has shown us. Paul gets them to focus on what they have in Christ Jesus. The comfort of His love, the encouragement and the sharing of His Spirit. And then he goes to the list and he said, Again, quite rhetorically, I believe, if you enjoy these blessings, which we all do when we're in Christ, then please, like a good Greek parent, he plays them a guilt trip, then please do what will make my joy complete. Okay? Do this and I will be happy. And this is what he does. I don't know about you, but this is what I get from my parents. He says, number one, and I'm probably going to do it to my kids, agree with each other. He starts off, ouch, Paul, Really? Agree with each other. Remember, the context of the Philippian church is that there's inner tension between the leadership. And he tells them to agree with each other. Secondly, and show your love for each other. Demonstrate it tangibly. Be a, a lived out example in front of them. Thirdly, be united in your goals in the, and the way you think. Oof, that's hard. I don't know about you guys, but that's hard. It's not easy to always agree. And to be united. It's climbing on the cross. Where we put ourselves on the cross. And we say, Jesus, what would you have me do? Not my will, but your will be done. And then he really dives deep. He says, in whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. The enemy of the cross is selfishness and pride. He then carries on that Deep spiral. Be humble and honor others more than yourselves. Be humble and honor others more than yourselves. Don't be interested in your own life, but care about the lives of others too. And he says, in your life together, think the way Christ Jesus thought. And then he goes into the Christ hymn. See, I've realized the beauty of the Christ hymn is that it's a centerpiece of a beautiful tapestry that emanates outward. Just before entering it, he gives real practical breakdown advice in the spirit. How do we do it? We do it in the spirit, not in our own strength. We cannot achieve agreement and unity and humility and letting go of selfishness and pride in our own strength. It's, it's not the way it works. You can't use pride to let go of pride. You have to embrace the spirit and embrace what Christ has given us to embrace humility, to climb onto that cross, to enable him to come into your heart and you to let go of these things and to begin to be like Timothy, to care about others, just like Paul and just like Jesus. That's how practical Paul gets in this letter. And he gives us the key as we conclude. He says in verse 12, after the Christ hymn, so that was before, he then gives us the Christ hymn and then he gives us the key on how we achieve the above. He says, continue to work out your salvation. From the Amplified in verse 12, he says, that is cultivated, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity. Okay? And he says, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation. This is how we make sure we don't fall out of humility and out of selflessness and fall into pride and selfishness, is that we have to examine our hearts carefully all the time, that we don't offend God or discredit the name of Christ. And the 13 in chapter 2 is, is the real litmus that I've told you. This is how we do it. And this is as practical, I believe, as Paul gets. He says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, our last verse of today. He says, 
for it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, that is strengthening, energizing, creating in you the longing and the ability to fill, fulfill your purposes for his good pleasure. If you read that carefully, if the only verse you read after today is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, you will see the sole focus is Christ Jesus. The sole focus is his spirit. It is not operating in our own strength, but it is operating out of God's, who is the source of everything. The will to work and the work itself, the strengthening, the energizing, and the creating in you a desire and the ability to fulfill what God has created us to do, which is his good pleasure. And that is the concentrated version that I would give you when I would describe what does it mean to participate in the gospel. We and Alpha and Omega Ministries International, we don't just believe in buildings and, and fellowshipping together, but each one of you are participants of this ministry and all of us together, just like the Philippian church and just like Paul, we are participants in the gospel. And what that means is we embrace the cross. We embrace cruciformity and we become like Jesus progressively but intensely that we may look like him in every encounter, that people will see him through our cracked lives and come to the knowledge of him. So having said that, I'm going to go straight into communion without giving any verses, with just sharing my heart on the power of communion. I believe Jesus calls us to remember that, that night, that communion meal. And remember the word communion is synonymous in the gospels with the words that we have spoken about. The word for participation, for partaking, for sharing, and having in common and communion all stems from the root, the root Greek word, which is kinonia. And I hope I've shared with you today that kinonia is not just the exuberant early Acts chapter 2 church that shares everything and it's all good and well and when things are in the honeymoon period, but it's when things get hard, when things are difficult, when things are strained, that we participate in the cross moments of our lives, not for our sakes, but for those around us. That we embrace the humility of Christ, we embrace his nature, we put ourselves in him, and that's what we're doing in this communion meal. He calls us to remember him and the sacrifice that he has done and paid the price, that we position ourselves continually, like Paul tells us to, in communion with him. That we don't operate out of what we think is right, what we know is well, but we participate in the cross moment of Jesus and remember him and give thanks to him for all that he has done for us and echo his words leading up to the cross, not our will, but your will be done. So let's bow our heads as we partake of communion. I'll lead you into each emblem, but see them as one emblem together representing Jesus and what he has done for us and for all mankind. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you first and all, first of all, for your son. We thank you for your heart that graciously and generously gave your son to come on this earth for all mankind. That we could not do anything in our own strength, that we were hopeless, we were abandoned, and we, you gave us over to our pursuits, and we pursued all the wrong things in all the wrong places. But thank you, Jesus, for coming on this earth to show us the true way and the true light. 
Thank you that you showed us what it looks like to be a participant of the gospel, that you climbed on that cross for us and for all mankind, that you showed that there's no greater gift than to lay down your life for your friends. So we thank you for your body that you put on the cross for us. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made. And we thank you, Lord, that this bread that we eat enables us to participate, to, to digest who you are symbolically, that we may digest on your word, that we may digest on your presence and your spirit and increasingly become more and more like you. So we thank you for your body and we pray that it may become our body in Jesus' name. We thank you for your blood, Lord. And we know the blood is a powerful symbol in scripture and in life. That it speaks of life. It speaks of vibrancy. It speaks of energy. We thank you, Lord, that your body is not a dead body, but it's alive. You have resurrected and your blood is still flowing through your veins and indeed is flowing through the body of your church. We pray that we may remember what you have done and we may use that, as like Paul says, to press forward, to attain what you have set before us, that when we may operate in your blood and your life force and when we may lay down our carnal, selfish man, that we put away what we think is right, what we put away the struggles that we have and we embrace your cross and operate in your blood. So we thank you for your sacrifice and we thank you for the blood that now throws, flows through our veins and we pray that we may use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, the blood of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.